Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 24. My name is Arvind, and joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com, Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. And for the second straight podcast, uh, I'm not going to ask how Fooliman is doing, because again, we have Kevin Papetti here, also from <laughs> PensionPanPuppets.com, and we're going to talk some more NHL entry draft and talk about the Leafs. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I mean, the first one went, went well. Um, you covered for our lack of knowledge on prospects beautifully, and we're just expecting you to do the same thing here. So, um, Also, I just yeah. <laughs> want to point this out here. Uh, adding Kevin seems to have juiced our listens on SoundCloud, and so I'm a little impressed. I'm also a little hurt, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so the, the hot new thing is coming in here and uh, juicing the performance of the podcast. But uh, uh, yeah, no, we're really glad to have you back because we're both heavy draft amateurs so yeah it should be fun hopefully we have some some positives to bring out of it yeah yeah um so as everyone knows the NHL entry draft was on Friday and Saturday I was in uh Italy for the draft um so I didn't follow as much of it as I normally would have I did follow the first round I was uh, a very irate person at 3 a.m 4 a.m in the in the morning (laughs) Uh, annoying everyone on PPP by uh, just being very curmudgeonly in our Slack group, um, but we got through it. And yeah, um, I guess the first thing to talk about, let's just jump right into it. Uh, the first pick that the Leafs had was originally going to be at 25. To the surprise of absolutely no one, uh, they traded down. Cal Dubas traded down. Um, he wondered why he was considered a trade-down guy, and he will wonder no longer, I guess, at this point. Uh, trade down to 29, at which point they took uh, Rasmus Sandin of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, a left-handed defenseman. So um, we'll talk about Sandin himself a little bit, but I think the story of this pick actually kind of involves uh, who the Leafs didn't take, and that is Joe Valeno. Um, Joe Valeno was someone who was highly regarded uh, coming into the draft. I think Bob McKenzie's uh, consensus rankings had him in, in the teens, and Certainly, he seemed unlikely to slip. He seemed unlikely to slip to 25, and he was there when the Leafs had the opportunity to take him. They chose not to and traded down. It seemed even more unlikely that he would slip to 29, but he did again, and once again, the Leafs chose not to take him. Um, Now, at the time, I was kind of annoyed at this because, uh, for one, I was not terribly high on Sandine at at the time. Uh, For another, I thought, you know, Valeno's a guy who's had very high expectations placed on him for, for quite a while. Um, he was considered a you know really really high end prospect coming into the season. He had a poor start to the year with the St. John Sea Dogs, and then kind of turned it on after he got traded to a better team in Drummondville. And you know the consensus rankings seemed to indicate that he was kind of a class above Sandine. Um, and given that he plays also a position of need for the Leafs, it seemed like a bit of a mistake to not take him. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this omission. Or if you think it was an omission at all. Valeno, I was just a bit surprised he fell because he's not, he doesn't really have the profile of someone who would normally fall. He's a center. He's not small. Uh, he plays a strong two-way game. So he doesn't really have the typical characteristics of a player that falls. I think part of it could be justified. I don't know if he has the scoring upside that some of the other forwards ahead of him have. Uh, so I don't think he's like an Eli Tolvanen, someone who's going to fill the back of the net with tons of goals. I think it's, I saw him as more of a safe pick, someone that could be a second or third line center, play a strong two-way game, pretty close to NHL ready. Um, so I think from 
from my perspective, anytime you can add a center uh, that caliber, that low in the draft, I think that was my choice. Uh, just because you look at teams like Montreal and, and you see what happens and you don't have center depth. Um, and often you can move your centers to the wings if needed. Uh, but they, they chose to go the other route. They chose to add defensemen. Uh, so Sandine in the first round, Dursey in the second round, the same as last year where they picked Lilligren and, and Rassinen. So it wasn't my best player available, but I think it's, I mean, I did have Sandine as a first round pick. Uh, I was a little surprised the Leafs passed on Valeno, but not as surprising as teams like Minnesota with, with Johansson. I mean, some teams really went off the board, and I don't think the Leafs went too far off the board. The thing about Valeno, um, as you say, he doesn't have the profile of the guy who falls. Um, I didn't hear any kind of character chatter, so that like kind of a Ryan Merkley thing where he might be devalued based on that. He checks a lot of boxes. Um the lack of goal scoring is really the thing. And then I'm told that his skating is kind of not exemplary um, or not kind of a standout trait. But I was really stunned. Like, I thought he was falling right into our laps and I was having a Lilligren redux where I figured it's going to be the same thing again, where we get the guy who's falling. Um, but the fact that there is no obvious reason to fall, that's, you know, maybe something that we wouldn't care about as much. Like what if a guy falls and you know, it's because he's like five ten or something. Normally nerds like us don't get too bothered. We consider it kind of a benefit to us because we think we're going to get a better player. Um, when a guy like Valeno falls and when a lot of teams clearly pass on him and the Leafs made a very clear choice not to take him, you know, there's no way they weren't fully aware of one of the very rare players to get exceptional player status when entering the CHL one of the most touted center prospects in a draft that at center, like they knew all about this guy and they said no. Um, so even though I didn't love the decision, I'm almost more differential to it just because, and this might be kind of special pleading for me to justify this for an, a front office that I kind of like, but I just figured they had to have had a really good reason or at least a pretty good reason, you know, because there's no obvious bad reason that I can think of not to take a center unless it's just like, look, the offense isn't there, and that's going to hold him back. So, yeah, is that it? I don't know. Uh, with Valeno, I'd say his skating is a standout skill. He was one of the better skaters, so I don't think that would have been the reason. I think it's he did have know. a he did have a poor under eighteen tournament this year. He had three points in four games, but just no goals. And I think the lack of goal scoring might have been what what dropped him. Um, mm. Only had twenty two goals this year in the queue. He doesn't have the best shot, so I'm thinking maybe teams think maybe he's a third-line center rather than a second-line center. Uh, I take my chances. I think anytime you can add uh, a pretty good center that late in the draft, you you got to at least consider it. But with with the Leafs pick, I don't think it's it's too much of a shock. I think teams like Minnesota and and even like the Rangers passed on him multiple times. I'm, I'm surprised how many teams passed on him. I think from a lease perspective, it, everyone was mad that they passed on Valeno, but there's a lot of other fan bases that I think should be questioning it even more. Yeah, actually, something that I noticed, because he fell into Detroit's lap at 30th overall, which I'm pretty sure Ken Holland is doing jumping jacks or, you know, at least, 
he's 60 years old or whatever, but he's very happy, I'm sure, about uh, having this kind of center fall into his lap. That might be, you know, is Valeno a better center prospect than Michael Rasmussen? Is this the best center in their organizational uh, development program right now? I would say yes, but I haven't seen Rasmussen in, Rasmussen in, uh, in a while. I don't think I saw him this year. Um, oh, okay. But I wasn't a big fan of him at the draft. I was hiring on Valeno at the draft. Uh, another thing that kind of stands out for me is I, I watch Valeno and Hayton share the ice at the Alenka, and it's it's crazy to me that one went fifth and one went 30th. There's just not that big of a gap. Um, mm. I, I thought they were going to be neck How much and of neck. that was Arizona just kind of going off the wall, though? Yeah, I think it's it's extremes on both sides with Hayton going probably too early and Leno going too late. I'm just not sure how how that's justified at all. It's, it's yeah, just something you it? scratch your head at. Yeah, so while the first round of the draft was going on, I was watching Ocean's 8, which, by the way, mediocre film. Don't think they used Sandra Bullock to the best effect there. Anyway, not important. But uh, I did, like, sort of surreptitiously check my phone in the back of the theater. And as soon as I saw uh, the Hayden pick at number five, like, everyone on my Twitter immediately went, went like, nope, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense. You know, it like it felt like they were reaching really hard there. <laughs> yeah, e- even I thought that. Like, I, I almost woke people up in my in my hostel in, in Naples because I was, I, I was like, what? <laughs> like, really loudly. <laughs> were you with people you know? Because it would be hilarious if you just ran out and were like, the Arizona Coyotes have drafted Barrett Hayden fifth overall. And then a bunch of people are like, I miss Quozzi, what? <laughs> no, I, I didn't know anyone there, and they, they they were all pretty much all Americans. There was oh, one, okay. um, there was one uh, young lady from New Zealand, but I'm pretty sure I was the only one there who like gave any shits about hockey at all. <laughs> oh, that's why you had to come to us in the, sl- the slack in the dead of night. Ex- exactly. I, one other thing I wanted to mention about uh, Valeno, and it, it'll tie into something that I'm I want to discuss with uh, with Sandine as well, is that um, the kind of statistical cohort or comparable for Valeno are not incredible um and certainly like if you just look at them on his face like his point scoring this year is not anything to you know go crazy over uh his comparables are good but not someone who is worthy of you know 10 minutes of discussion on a Leafs podcast for a guy that we didn't take um but the one thing I did want to note is that he had a poor start to the season and this is something that Ian Tullock of uh the Leafs Nation, or Maple Leafs Nation, whatever they're called nowadays, and The Athletic, um, has mentioned a couple times. He had a very poor start to the season uh, in St. John, uh, and part of that seemed to be fueled by a low shooting percentage, which can kind of depress his numbers. As Kevin said, his shot doesn't appear to be a strength, but it's also probably, you know, a little bit of poor variance that was hurting him as well. And then when he got traded to Drummondville, his, you know, his points kind of skyrocketed, and he, he produced at a rate similar to Philip Zadina over, you know, the last bit of the season when he was in Drummondville. Now, obviously, you can't just omit the time in St. John. You can't throw away data. That's, like, a huge pet peeve of mine when people do that. It's like when mm-hmm. people will say that, oh, you know, over the last 40 games of the season, Mitch Marner was a 100-point player. It's like, well, yeah, what about, was he a 100-point player over the 80 games? That No? Okay, then shut up, right? You like, know, if you drop the you bottom can't... half of all of my grades, I was a really good student in university. Yeah, yeah you, you, can't, you can't arbitrarily cut things off like that. Um, but at the same time, like, it does seem that th- th- there's a middle ground between Valeno's y- year-long stats and his stats in just Drummondville, and he probably exists in between them, and that probably makes him look a little better than his numbers do 
right now. Um, so I just wanted to make that point about Veleno. Um, the next, I guess we should talk about the guy we did pick, Rasmus Sandin, uh, left-handed defenseman out of the uh, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. You mentioned, as it related to Veleno, Kevin, you mentioned that Veleno is kind of a safe player uh, in some respect and that you, you'd expect him to be kind of a 2-3C, sort of NHL-ready, maybe doesn't have elite upside. And I've seen sort of a lot of the same attributes being used to describe Sandine. Not so much the NHL-ready side, but like kind of, he's a safe player, he thinks the game well, he probably doesn't have top-pairing upside, but he seems like he should make the NHL in some reasonable capacity. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, with Sandine, it, it takes a few viewings to appreciate him, I'd say. Whereas you have players like Merkley, where you watch them one time and you're just in awe. Uh, Sandine, when I, I remember watching him back at the Alenka, and every game, what you'd write down about Sandine is, well, he wasn't a star, but he's one of their better players. And just game in, game out, he's one of their better players. He's one of their best defensemen. Um, and then you look at his point per game in, in the OHL this year, and it's right up there with... Basically, anyone who scored uh, at his rate has gone on to have at least some sort of NHL career. So, it's. I, I think he's a safer pick. I compare him to. I've been comparing him a lot to Travis Dermott. I didn't see Dermott as a top pairing guy at, at the time. Uh, he's not quite, like like Dermott. He's not quite big enough to be the prototypical shutdown guy, and he's not quite, uh, of a of enough of a scorer to be a top offensive defenseman, but. He moves well. He competes well. He doesn't really have a major weakness. Uh, coaches tend to trust him, and I think when you look at the whole profile and you watch him uh, many, many times, then you start to, to gain appreciation and think, well, this is probably going to be an NHL player. I think the question with Sandine is, can he be a good second-pairing defenseman? And if he does become a good second-pairing defenseman, then he's a heck of a pick at, at 29. Um, and then I think the other part is uh, not only did they get Sandine, but they got the extra pick out of it. So I think when you put the two right. to, when you get put the two together, mm-hmm. it starts to it starts to look. I mean, I'd give it a, a B or a B plus in terms of of that selection. Okay. Do you, in terms of like that skill set, that safe skill set, that kind of smart skill set. Um, this is kind of the beginning of building a narrative here, but like this seemed like a draft with a lot of smart. Players, you know, players who make good decisions, who make a, a good first pass, for example, who, like, are doing the kind of things that would presumably make Mike Babcock happy. Uh, I'm wondering about, uh, Sandine, in terms of organizational depth. Like, do we have guys who do what he does already? Or is it he, in some sense, filling a hole? I'm not necessarily saying this was drafting for need. But, uh, you know, one thing uh, Kadja was saying in the Slack chat was, like, it would be nice to have more guys who could just straight up play defense. You know what I mean? Like guys who have that kind of skill set. And I'm wondering, are we light on the things that Sandine brings to the organization? Um, he does bring a bit of a shutdown game. At, at the Alinka, he was the captain of Sweden. He played on the, the top pairing with, with Boquist, and that was basically the shutdown pairing. Uh, he also penalty killed. Uh, this year in Sault Ste. Marie, he was a little lower on the depth chart. But, I mean, he did get pretty big minutes for a rookie. So I think... He is a player that, that coaches tend to trust, um, whether it's, and that's shown whether it's him being a captain for Sweden or just the minutes he got uh, or just who he was going up against. 
So I think he's he's very well rounded. I don't think he's he's a prototypical shutdown player like the six four or the Mark mm-hmm. Edward Vlasic, but uh, he's a player who's I mean he's at least average as an as an NHL skater. So he's he's quick enough to to pinch and, and win foot races. Uh, he's not going to be a huge hitter, but he, he competes well. He battles hard. Uh, he, he makes a good first pass. So he does he does a lot of the little things right. And I think uh, because of that, even though he's not the, the flashiest player, basically anyone who's watched him play says, yeah, he's a pretty good defenseman. He's, he's someone I'd want on my team. That's encouraging. I mean, uh, you worry a little bit in terms of... Uh, you don't want to set the ceiling too low. I think the knock on the Frederick Gauthier pick, uh, speaking of Gauthier, was that they were trying to get like a third line center and they said so on draft day. That said, um, you know, when you're picking in the last sixth of the first round, um, the guys who project as top pairing guys went a lot earlier. <laughs> you know, um, it is tough to get guys with that kind of potential. So, there is a lot to like here. I feel like maybe I've talked myself into the Sandine pick a little bit after I was, I won't lie, disappointed we didn't take Joe Valeno. Um, the more I think about it, the more it grows on me. The one thing I do wonder is he's, as you've said, he played for the Saint, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. So that was Kyle Dubas's organization. He was their general manager. He came up through them for a long time. Um, it's not necessarily wrong to go with the guy you know from your organization, but that was two of their picks this draft, uh, him and then Mac Hollowell, who went in the fourth round. Um, you wonder a little bit, like, it's interesting that we kind of went, you know, for his first major pick as head of the Leafs, he went back to kind of the old OHL team. You, you know, you wonder if there's definitely a comfort feeling there when he's making the first really big drafting decision depending on what you think he was doing in 2015 but uh i I do wonder a little bit about that and if so is there a bias there that we should be worried about you do you do wonder how much information he has on sandine like i saw uh, i believe it was one of the athletic writers tweeting out like zone prevention rate and Mm. sandine was very strong in that and i know sue st marie is very forward-thinking organization they probably have uh Kyle probably has access to stats that he doesn't have on other players, and uh, I'm sure he's watched Sault Ste. Marie play a lot more than he's he's watched other teams play. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing I wonder is, like, I don't know if it was Dubas who made the pick or if this is someone the scouts really like, and I, I think there's a bit, of a, a bit of a narrative there. Like, they might have just liked Sandine. I don't think he would have gone to Sault Ste. Marie just to pick anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, he's Sandine does have some some nice aspects to his game. Uh, was one of the better players on Sweden at the Alenka. Uh, played on a very good competitive Sault Ste. Marie team and, and played a big role there. So I think he, he might not be as flashy as, as some of the other players they could have taken, but he's, he's perfectly fine first rounder. I had him in my first round. And... I knock players a bit if they're safer picks rather than the high upside picks. So I think most most would have them around the 25, uh, maybe even 20 range. Um, but almost everyone has them as a first rounder, and I think it's it's a fine pick. I think I'm 
I'm more worried about some of the other teams who kind of went way off the board and guys I don't really see as first rounders. Okay, that, we're not the that dumbest. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always a good thing. Um, couple things I wanted to talk about. Actually, first I'm gonna digress a little bit. I have a mini rant about the um, the micro stats thing for junior players because mm. people are putting entirely too much stock into them, and this is not specific to junior players. This is true. Um, this is true for basically any tracking data, any microstats data that we have. Um, so this is, I'll say this immediately up front, this is not to denigrate the work of the people who do the tracking for this, because that is incredible work. It is very, very hard to do, and it's very, very valuable. But as an analyst, you have to treat it as purely descriptive, because for, for many of the stats, we don't have, A, a large sample size, or B, robust research that tells us what the relationship is between that and things that we care about, and C, a robust research that tells us the relationship between that and future instances of that. So it's reliability. Is it an actual skill or is it driven by luck? And in a lot of cases, we, we just don't have that. Um, so uh, for the passing project data, this is less of a concern because, or at least one of these is less of a concern. We know that, for example, shot assists predict assists very well. We know that expected points predict points very well, better than actual points. So it, it's less of an issue there. But for things like um, you know, zone entries at the junior level, we don't know if that's a repeatable skill or if that's a transferable skill to the NHL. We don't know how much that impacts, uh, let's say, a defender's Corsi. Is someone who denies the zone very well but has poor scoring chance or Corsi metrics, is that good or bad? We, we have no real way to weight these things. And what ends up happening is people post these, you know, these very pretty tableau charts that have you know, the percentiles that the players rank in various fields. Uh, I think the data is collected by Mitch Brown. And again, the data collection is incredible and very, very impressive and very, very cool. It's the interpretation that I'm taking issue with. Um, they'll, they'll see a guy is, who's in like the 95th percentile in uh, zone exits. And they're like, okay, cool. This guy's great at zone exits. It's like, well, is he? You have an eight-game sample of this. And it's like, how can, how can you be sure? Yeah. Right? So this is... And I know, Kevin, you've mentioned this as well as it relates to, I believe, uh, passing project data, right? But it's a similar idea, right? Where it, it's people see, you know, a small snippet of data, like it, even there where it's a more robust sample of 900, 1,000 minutes. They see, okay, William Nylander is uh, in the 94th percentile in, in passing. And Nylander is a great passer, but is he necessarily better than everyone who's in the 0 to 93rd percentile? Not always right? Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's a big pet peeve of mine, too. I saw some like, some of the data I just was a little bit confused with. Um, there are a few players where, uh, specifically with the prospects, where they graded out very well uh, offensively, and then you watch them play 10 games or so, and you just, I mean, they're fine offensively, but they're not these 99 percentile players that they're getting perceived as. So I think it's the other thing in junior. Sorry, I'm interrupting you there. But the other thing in junior is that, like, if you're predicting for NHL players, almost everyone you're interested in is in the 90th percentile or above. Like, you you, you don't give a shit about the 60th percentile junior player because, you know, with all due respect to the guy, he has no career as an NHLer. Yeah, it, basically everyone you're interested in is like a star at the junior level. Basically, you're sometimes you're just arguing between 95th and 90th, and it's just. There's not enough separation there to, to make a ma massive difference. 
Yeah, over a tiny sample. I mean, Philip Crawl, who I think we're going to get to talking about in more specifics, he's a fifth-round pick for the Leafs this year, but he's supposedly uh, dominant at preventing controlled entries. And so if you're a nerd who's been, you know, following the development of advanced stats or some of these micro stats that we like, we think, oh, controlled entries are dangerous. It's very good that he stops them. Um, but it's a great illustration of all the problems we've talked about. One, his Corsi rel, such as it is, is actually a little bit below 50th percentile. Um, so we don't know how much effect that's having in terms of shots. Um, two, it's eight games. So who knows? <laughs> Pretty much anything can happen over eight games. Like, uh, that problem we were talking about where Mitch Marner's last 40 games of the season over an eight-game sample in junior, it, it's like there's so much noise. This is like a static machine. Like it's just so hard to divine anything from that. And so the result is, like with any uh, kind of data like this, is that you can just pick what you want to hear and ignore all the rest. Um, it's like what I do with um, advanced stats and whether or not they like William Nylander. Either they yeah. do and they're correct, <laughs> or they don't and they are garbage. And I think that that's a pretty sound system. But the result is, you know, you end up uh, discarding results you don't like. And, you know, maybe you're right to discard them. And just taking the ones that you do, and maybe you're wrong to take them. So it's, uh, it's tough to know what to make of them, even though they make very pretty charts. Yeah. Uh, sorry, and before that digression, the other thing I wanted to mention about Sandine, and this will tie into other... Uh, Leafs draft picks as well. Um, you, Kevin mentioned that like he, you think he's he's at the very least an average NHL skater, but I, I've seen it written about him and talked about that like he's not he doesn't have he's not necessarily an explosive skater. He doesn't have uh, that huge burst, that huge burst of athleticism. That you know, I see someone like Morgan Riley, and Riley to me he he sticks out even among NHL players as someone who is an incredible athlete, right? Because you see how quickly he accelerates and just his burst and his first step and his agility. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and it doesn't seem that Sandine has that. Now, this is where I think a lot of Leaf fans kind of go, hey, we can fix that because we have Barb Underhill. And it's not always that simple, but do you think there might be a theme going on here with the Leafs draft picks where they feel that, you know, perhaps some skating issues can be corrected to some degree with proper coaching and mechanics and that sort of thing? Yeah, I can see it. I mean, there's with a player like Sandine, who's already a, a average, a slightly above average skater. I mean, if he takes another stride with the skating, you might have something like a real player there. I think some of the players that they've drafted in the past, they needed a lot of help just to get the average. And if you're in that case, I'm not real. If you can't keep up at the NHL level, and there's not a high probability that you can skate at an NHL level, I think they should be avoiding those types of picks. But with Sandine. Uh, he's got a pretty good frame. I mean, he is maybe slightly undersized or about average height, but uh, moves well. I think that you don't really see Morgan Riley's offensive game yet, but you hope that Sandine, I mean, he already scored at a high point per game rate this year, and then if he moves to the, the top power play unit eventually when Connor Timmons leaves, uh, there might be room for more there. So I think that's kind of the, the calling card and, He's responsible defensively, but I think he does move well enough to at least... Uh, and I compare him to Dermot. I did not think Dermot was as good of a skater when the Leafs drafted him. Um, but if, if Sandine takes another step forward with the skating, you might have something similar. I think that's the hope, at least. Okay. And we expect uh, Sandine to play in the OHL again 
next year, right? I believe Dubas said something to that effect. Yeah, I don't think they've made a firm decision, but he could go back to Sweden, but I, I, my guess would be Sault Ste. Marie. I think they, we had a bit of a discussion about this where he may actually be eligible for the Marlies if the Leafs should decide that that's what they want. Um, because of the nature of him is that he's like uh, alone from a Euro team, I think. I, I don't know all the details of the transfer agreement, but I remember seeing something to that effect, like there was an option in kind of every league for him. Yeah, I, I, I think you're correct, but like no one has seemed to talk about him seriously as a candidate for the AHL. So it seems like it's kind of Sweden yeah. or, or Sault Ste. Marie. Um, but I, I guess we'll see. That, that'll be a call that's made later on in the summer. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next pick. Uh, Sean Dersey, who we picked uh, 52nd overall, a right shooting defenseman. He is um, older than your typical draft pick. He is an October 98 birthday. So he's already 19. He'll be turning 20 this coming season. Uh, and he had uh, he had an injury-plagued draft year. His draft year was 2016-2017. Uh, and he remounted from that quite spectacularly with a really impressive point production, 49 points in 40 games on the Owen Sound attack. Uh, what are your thoughts on him, Kevin? Jersey's fairly similar to Sandine, so they're both around the same size, and they're both pretty mobile. I think Jersey, the what really stands out to me is his point per game production uh, right off the bat. So I tweeted out today, um, among OHL defensemen who are under 20, uh, so almost everyone, uh, only eight players have scored at a higher point per game rate than Jersey over the past 10 years. So basically everyone else who's who, who topped him in points per game have gone on to have at least some sort of NHL career. So Ryan Ellis, D'Angelo, Hamilton, Subban, Spruill, uh, Evan Bouchard, who just got drafted this year, John Carlson, and Ryan Murphy. So I think if you get uh, even a marginal NHL player at, at that towards the late second round, uh, I think you're happy. Uh, Jersey from the eye test, he doesn't have a big shot, and he never really scored until this year. But uh, what he does do well is he'll jump up into the play with his with his speed, and then he gets his shots off very quickly. So the puck's on and off his stick in a split second, and he's been racking up goals that way. Uh, he's a good power play quarterback, moves the puck well, makes a good first pass, a lot of the same similarities to Sandine. Um, but he is one of the older players in this, in this class. I think with my rankings, it's, it's always tough to, to weigh age. So when you have a player that mm. an overager, um, although he's a very good overager, it, it's, it's tough to rank him against some some of the younger players in this draft when there's such an age gap. The Leafs don't seem to have been scared off by any kind of overagers. I mean, they picked him. Uh, Hallwell uh, was also an overager. And I think, I want to say, is it Pontus Holmberg? But there were three guys who were on their second or third time through the draft eligibility before they got picked. And the Leafs don't seem to have been bothered by that at all. Yeah, Holmberg's a March 99, so I think he would have been eligible in a previous year. Yeah, yeah, I think it was him. It's interesting because that was one thing that defined the uh, the 2016 draft. The Leafs picked several guys who were overages. Um, Adam Brooks is, I believe, the only one of that overage group who looks like he might really be something. Um, but on the other hand, these were a bunch of, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. So you can't expect too much out of them. 
Um, but it is an interesting strategy. You know, the theory on overagers from the analytics end of things is one, you have another year of information on them. So you have some better idea maybe of what they are. And two, there's kind of a <laughs> Jason Bourne. Uh, I always call him that. Justin Bourne. <laughs> For the millionth time I've made him Matt Damon. Justin Bourne. Uh, he talked about it like uh, sewage cologne or something like that, like the stink that gets applied to you when you're marked as a guy who's uh, undrafted um, because you went through one time and nobody was interested. And, you know, you're marked thereafter with a kind of feeling of failure. Now, that's rectified a bit when you're picked in the future. But the thinking is that there's sort of an anchoring bias. Once a guy is... Uh, an undrafted player, people think, well, he can't be that good or someone would have picked him already. Um, but the Leafs do not appear to have thought that at all, which I, I think is just something to keep an eye on going forward, but they clearly were not bothered by that. Well, they've done, they've got a few overagers now in, in recent drafts, and I think with Jersey, when you look at the 49 points in 40 games, I, I think if you if you look at a player like Sandine, like you'd be happy if, if he got to Jersey's point production next season. So I think Mm. You you have a, a guy who's already scored at a very impressive rate, who's really one of the best players in Owens Town. I don't think he was as good as Nick Suzuki, but uh, very, very valuable player and, and also a right-shooting defenseman. So definitely a position that teams place a premium on. So if you do hit on that position, you, you might have a valuable piece there and someone that could could really fill a need down the line. And, and again, I mean, like like Sandine, kind of similar in that, doesn't project to be like you know a top line. I mean, no one projects to be a top line or top pairing guy at this point in the draft because if if they did, they would have been taken higher, as Fulman mentioned. But um, he doesn't project to have the sort of skills you would need to really you know become a upper echelon guy, right? Yeah, I think whenever you're getting a, a late second rounder, you're not... You yeah, know. yeah, exactly. Like, at, the, at, at the time, no one thought Nikita Kucherov would become Nikita Kucherov, right? So it, it's always kind of useless to say, oh, well, you know, he his upside is limited for anyone beyond besides a first rounder because, of course, it is, or at least, of course, it seems that way to us right now. Um, I, I As a fan, I actually, I kind of liked this pick. Uh, I know some people were calling it, like, a bit safe and... I think like Kalen Addison was still available at this, uh, at this point in the draft. But I think um, Jersey's even strength production is quite impressive, right? Like it's, I mean, his point production in general, as as you've noted, is really really strong. But even if you stratify for just even strength, it he still looks like a really really good player at the junior level, which is to be expected, but it's still good to see. Yeah, I think again, if if you can get so the the players that were ahead of. Sandine this year in, in five on five scoring were Evan Bouchard. This is per game. Evan Bouchard, Connor Timmins, Nicholas Haig, Blumen's favorite, and Rasmus Sandine. Uh, I still believe. So the the Leafs now have. I mean, they they drafted three of the top eight uh, points per game leaders in the OHL among defensemen this year um, at five on five. So I think if if they had a type, it's it's showing they're both Sandine and and Dersey, uh, pretty similar. They they move well. Uh, they're not overly physical, but they're not incredibly small either. I think they're they can hold their own, but they're not going to be these physical, hard hitting defensemen. And they both make 
good first passes out of the zone. They both see the ice pretty well. They don't have big shots, but um, I think if you played them together, you'd have a pretty mobile pairing, and it's going to be going to be interesting to see them in development camp. There's there's quite a lot of defensemen this year, so uh, it it should be fun. Well, I, I like that pick. You know what? I do wonder a little bit if it's that like. Given a couple of days, I have now talked myself into at like pretty much every single Leafs pick. But, um, you know, that said, it is, uh, I like it. And, I, you know, I like that he was a Leafs fan growing up. I know that it has nothing to do with how good he's actually going to be, but it's kind of nice to get the hometown kid. Yeah, and I think with with this draft, I'd say I was content with every pick. I, I wasn't really angry at any of their selections, and I wasn't really over the moon with any of their selections. So I think... It, it was a fine draft. I like that they got more picks, and I mean, all their all their players pretty much went where I where I expected them to go. So it's nothing. It's not really a disappointing draft that that some teams have. I don't think they had a Detroit level draft, but uh, it's definitely a, a decent start, and it's nice to have some some more defense prospects in an organization that is already pretty stacked at forward. Uh, you see, I was over the moon, and you're like a hundred times better informed than me, but anyway, I was super over the moon about our next pick, actually. I have totally talked myself up to an irrational degree, and this will fade away in like two weeks. But for this moment, I am like dead convinced that Semyon Dur Arguchintsev, whose name I'm pretty sure I pronounced right, uh, is going to be like an NHL superstar. <laughs> so the Leafs took him 76th overall. Um, this is actually the pick that they got in the process of moving down from 25th to 29th. Um, uh, Dur who I will call SDA pretty much the rest of this podcast, so I don't have to risk trying to pronounce it again. Uh, he's the youngest player in the draft, literally. He was born on September 15th, 2000, so if he were one day older, he would be not eligible until next year. Um, he's also, like, really small. He's listed at 5'10". Um, he looks like he's like 12. And he weighs probably nothing. But he's like a very high vision playmaker. And I'll confess, this is absolutely not the way to scout. And I don't care because he looks so cool. Uh, I've seen so many like highlight reel moves from him where he just kind of slides through um, opposing defenses and makes some like 10-bell pass to set someone up. Anyway, as this extremely young, extremely small playmaker, he put up 51 points in 68 games for the Peterborough Peets. And the Peterborough Peets were quite bad um, last year. And they were not an especially high-scoring team. They were ninth in their conference in goals out of 10 teams. Um, so one of the lower-scoring teams in the league. Um, so I think that that maybe suggests something interesting about his offensive potential. The end result of all this is that I've done what you really should not do in scouting prospects, where it's like I take his age and his size and his poor team quality, and I totally talk myself into multiplying his points total like by three. And so I'm now convinced that this kid's going to be Mitch Marner. <laughs> yeah, I think he's he's an exciting player. I, I haven't seen much of him in game action, so I didn't rank him. Mm. Um, but cause, just because Peterborough doesn't really have too many high-level prospects in this draft, um, and he hasn't really played, you know, he didn't play in the Olinka or anything, so I just haven't had a chance to, to see him play too much. 
uh, I know Corey Priman of the Athletic had him. I believe he had him twenty fifth on his rankings, and mm-hmm. I remember seeing that and instantly went to watch tons of highlights on him. And uh, he's a player that, I mean, the Leafs have have drafted small wingers in the past. Uh, we've seen Mitch Marner, we've seen Jeremy Bracco, and Timashov is sort of in that in that build as well. So um, a player that it's quite clear that he has some, some pretty strong playmaking ability, but I think his, I was impressed with his feet too. I think he's, he's quite quick. And as a younger player, as a player that's very light right now, uh, if you, if you give him a stronger frame and if you can put 10, 15 pounds on, uh, with that quickness and with that skill, I think there's, there's something to dream on there. Uh, so I think is I was in, I like the pick in the third round. I think he's, Probably not someone that was expected to go in the first two rounds. Uh, like it might have been a reach if they took him with the jersey pick, but I think in at seventy six overall with the extra pick, I like having someone that maybe as he gets older, maybe as he puts on some weight, there's there's some chance to really score at the NHL level. Yeah, it's it seems a more like measured a... way of looking at it than I had, but that also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he's it seems like there's... he's a bit of a boomer bust pick. As I like to call because he is the, the smaller player, but I mean, with a third round, it's a nice lottery ticket to have in the organization. You just hope that one of these lottery picks, whether it's SDA, as I'll call him, or, or Bracco, you hope one of these picks becomes a, a 45, 50 point score for you one day, and, and then you have yourself a good middle six forward. I think that's what you're hoping for here. Yeah, it, it does seem like there's a lot to kind of dream on. There's some, there's some low hanging fruit in his game that I've seen reported that like he doesn't seem to have a great shot. For example, he's a very, very good passer, uh, but doesn't really have a dual threat. And you know, if you get your shot a little bit better, that suddenly opens up a lot more for you. He, he he's not a phenomenal skater, uh, which you, you kind of like to see from a guy who will never be physically imposing. He plays a perimeter game sort of understandably because he is small and tiny and very very small um (laughs) so like there there's a lot to kind of talk yourself into and i like the the thing you keep coming back to when you talk yourself into him is oh man he's so young he's like a baby you know and it gets exaggerated every time like realistically we're talking about a couple months difference between him and a lot of the other guys in this class but you know that that can that can make a difference and especially um given that he certainly does not seem to be physically mature at this point, uh, could hopefully, you know, improve that. Improving that would hopefully uh, go a long, long, long way. Yeah, I think that's what... I think the physical maturity is the big factor for me. He looks like he's got a lot of room to grow, um, to put on weight. So right now he's got some decent point production when he's one of the smallest players on the ice. And if you can get him 10, 15 pounds, maybe he can... You can start getting him to the dirty areas a little bit more. Uh, I know the shot isn't isn't elite by any means, but if if you can skate at an above average level and if you can be a good carrier and, and a good entry threat, I think you have a, a chance to succeed. So I'll call him a lottery ticket. I don't expect him to be in the NHL. I don't think a lot of these third round picks no. you're expecting it. But if he hits, he could be something at least. Yeah. I think that that's kind of what you like to go on. It is one parting thing, and this is probably a personal bias because, you know, full disclosure, 
I played a lot of hockey and I was a god-awful skater. So I always find myself thinking, if only you can skate, you can basically do all the rest of it. Because I tell myself that's the only reason I'm not in the NHL. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, it, it's nice seeing guys who are mobile. Um, I was, I think, more benefit of the doubt E than a lot of people on the Mark Hunter large adult son picks. Like, at least I tried to be kind of like, okay, well, you know, maybe they've seen something. Um, those picks are not aging especially well, given that the Leafs have seeded rights on three of them. Uh, that would be Matten Milton and Desrochet. Uh, J.D. Greenway doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Uh, and then you have Gordiev, uh, Nielsen, who's probably going to stack at the AHL, and then you have Emilai Rasinen, who is interesting, but still not sure there's a lot there. So none of those guys was like a whirlwind skater by any means. Gordiev isn't bad, I guess. But like... It is kind of nice to see us betting on skating. And by contrast, um, all of those players were 6'3 or taller. No one that Kyle Dubas picked in this draft is taller than 6'1 except the goalie. So there's like been a real notable philosophical change there. And I mention it now just because SDA seems like in some ways the poster boy for it. Not that, you know, Hunter was totally averse to small forwards, but like he's about as small and as skatey as you can get. <laughs> so... We'll see how that pans out. Yeah, I think the defensemen, it's, it's pretty evident. They, they've yeah, gotten a lot it's, it's smaller. It's more pronounced on defense, yeah. Yeah, I think some of those hunter picks at the time, I just wasn't a fan. It felt like they were almost punting the pick, but uh, it's, it's not basketball. It's obviously heights <laughs> important, but I think if you're, if you're guys like Sandine, roughly six foot tall or 5'11, I mean, they're, they're tall enough. Um, it's not like they're five six or anything. Like they they can hold their own. Both him and Jersey. I think uh, I want defensemen that can uh, skate the puck out, and I want defensemen that can win the foot race when they pinch. I think those are key. Uh, obviously, in an ideal world, you have uh, a bigger player that can do all these things. But uh, some of the bigger defensemen in this draft just went so early that by the time you pick, you you just don't have that much talent available. Hmm. I mean, that was something we talked about. If you have a guy who's a giant defenseman and is mobile and is point productive, uh, he goes top five. So it's like, you know, it, it is tough to find guys who are going to check all of the boxes. I mean, you can get guys who don't have a lot of glaring flaws. And I think that is something that the Leafs seem to do here. Um, I'm, I'm kind of tipping the hand a bit, but the next guy, Riley Stotts, um, I just happen to have the profile open in front of me, but the one from the hockey writers describes him as kind of a middleweight player where he doesn't stand out in any particular respect, but he also doesn't have any kind of devastating hole where you're saying that's the thing that's going to ruin him. Um, he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none player who plays a decent, smart game. Do you have any further thoughts on that, Kev? I think it's just as interesting a season... Um, big reason why sometimes like if they do put the draft age up a year I think it it can make a huge difference guys like Stotts he had three points in his first 22 games gets traded then he's almost point per game so these junior players sometimes are just buried in the lineup and Mm. they get more opportunity they get a bigger role they get more comfortable uh, against older competition and they start to uh, 
they start to climb up rankings. Now, Stotts wasn't really someone I had on my radar. Um, obviously, this is a player that, I mean, you see the start to the year, three points in 22 games, and uh, you don't really make an effort to watch him. But I, I guess the Leafs saw him uh, playing in the WHL, took note of his of his big second half. And if, if they see someone who they think's greatly improved, uh, maybe they think they have a steal there now. I don't think he's going to be like he doesn't seem to have the offensive profile to be uh, a, a top six center. I'd be be surprised, but it's nice to add a center to the organization uh, simply because they don't have all that much depth at this time. No, I mean once you know Miro Altonen uh, has indicated he's going to head back to the to the uh, KHL. Um, and if you looked at the Leafs center depth after Alton and left, it was suddenly like we have Matthews and Kadri and oh my God, we're playing Frederick Gauthier again. You know, like it just evaporates after two guys, unless you convert Nylander or Marlowe from the wing. So that starts, or fixing that problem, I mean, this does nothing to fix it immediately, but that starts with trying to make intelligent center draft picks at times like that. And, you know, you talk about, you know, we actually were just talking about how you can't really slice up a guy's season but at the same time when there's a reason to believe um that something really changed or you know the guy changed teams um maybe that does give you a reason to bet on a guy who you're picking in this case 83rd overall because if he's in the 83rd range he's not going to be kind of unblemished in terms of he has great production and great skills and everything because he would have gone sooner so I almost think the fact that he has something skewed like that almost, almost gives you a reason to believe that he can be better than his draft position. Whereas if he just kind of averaged out his production, it would be maybe almost less impressive. Now, this may be just excuse making for a pick in that range, but something that I've been thinking I think, about. I think that makes sense. Because like, like you said, at, at this point, this is also the point where everyone's draft board becomes you know, completely different. It diverges drastically. You're you're just trying to find a guy who you think maybe has a couple of skills you think project. It seems you know it, it's 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 throwing darts at this point, right? It, like you find you find someone who maybe you can sell uh, your scout or your that a scout can sell your GM on, and I I, th- I think that's it. Like they, it's hard to have a reasoned discussion of of these late round picks unless it's kind of those those guys who you know where you light a draft pick on fire and pick nicholas matten right <laughs> where you know you, you it you can talk yourself into almost any guy as like hey yeah maybe if things work out well he can he can go somewhere he's shown some things he has some flaws this might work but it's it's hard to get more deeper than that in a lot of these cases because opinions on these people diverge so greatly Mm-hmm. Right. And everyone um, at this level has one guy who will tell you that this guy's the gem. Yeah. You know, one guy who was the scout there, one guy who was in that organization or who likes the kid or, you know, for whatever reason, if you wanted to, after each of these draft picks, you could find someone on Twitter saying, no, trust me, I know this guy. This guy is a great pick. Um, and well, I'd like to believe that we just happened to pick all of the guys who would have that said about them. I think that's probably true of all 217 players that were selected this weekend. So I think with, yeah. with Stotts, his original teams with current 
they were one of the top teams this year, and you have guys like Hepo Niemi that he's playing behind, so he probably just did not get the get the role that that's going to lead to a lot of points. Uh, I think what's interesting when I look at the Leafs draft is how many players came out of the CHL. All their picks in the first five rounds, and they had six of them, all from the CHL. So uh, they didn't really go towards Europe. They didn't really go to the USHL. Um, so I think that's a an interesting trend, uh, even more so than the than the height uh, would be. Just how how close they stayed. I mean, all their picks basically played in Canada this year. Yeah, even when they were from, you know, Sendines from Sweden, uh, SDA is from Russia. But uh, they really did kind of go close to home, which is conventional analytic thinking. I think at this point, it's fair to say, is that the CHL is probably overscouted, especially the OHL. And so yeah. you're less likely to get a hidden gem later on there just because everyone's watching. Um, but we'll see, I guess. This was something that's also been borne out in the NFL. Uh, someone, I forget who, but people have shown that basically um, if you look at the players taken from big colleges in the later rounds of the NFL draft, they almost invariably don't turn out to be anything because, you know, if they go to a big college, there's there's a lot of eyes on them. And, you know, if there's a lot of eyes on them and they were good, they would have gone higher up, right? Mm-hmm. And basically the, the late round picks who tend to do well are generally speaking guys who were like injured in their draft year and then recovered to you know re- re- to get their their form back or guys from small colleges or under scouted leagues right like our under scouted divisions within NCAA it would not surprise me and i don't think anyone's done like a really really robust study on this in the NHL but it would not surprise me if the same thing was true um, in the NHL so we're about like 55 minutes in, so let, let's kind of go a bit quicker through these last few picks. Um, the next guy on the list is Mac Hollowell. We picked him 118th overall. He is another right-shooting defenseman, uh, also from Sault Ste. Marie. He is uh, another overager. He's 19 years old, a September 98 birthday, which I guess also means this is true of both him and, I suppose, uh, of Jersey. They could play in the OHL, or sorry, in the AHL if they if the Leafs chose, correct? Because they would be turning 20 this year. I think so. I With these players, because they're late birthdays, I'm a little bit confused on the rule, but I, I believe they can be overagers in the OHL as well. Yeah. yeah, so again, this is something that the decision will not will be made probably closer to, uh, after certainly after dev camp, after rookie camp, all that sort of thing. I, I would expect them to be in junior, uh, but who knows. Yeah, especially as a fourth-round pick, I think I'd expect Junior. Yeah. I uh, I do want to say one thing, and this is just... Uh, we included this in our post on Matt Hollowell. Um, Jonathan Willis had a rundown of a bunch of prospects, and he had uh, Matt Hollowell on his list. And the first line of his like bullet point on Matt Hollowell is, it's hard to avoid the really obvious comparison, Yannick Weber. And I'm like, to whom does Yannick Weber immediately <laughs> jump to mind in any situation? Like... This guy's like a seventh defenseman in Nashville, and you're immediately like, yep, that's the guy. Um, so, you know. When, when you know you watch too much hockey. This is a dead ringer for Yannick Weber. Um, that, that left me feeling fine. I'm like, well, if you get any kind of NHL defenseman at this point, that's terrific. Um, but it left me with pretty much no feelings whatsoever on Mac Hollowell. He seems like a nice kid, undersized, 
Smart defenseman, Sault Ste. Marie. It kind of checks all the boxes, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I can't claim to have any developed opinion on Mac Holloway whatsoever. Hollowell. I mean, you can tell I can't even say his name right. Yeah, Hollowell, he played on the power play with Sandine. Um, obviously undersized, but he holds his own. Uh, I think as a, as a fourth-round pick and a right-shooting defenseman, I think it's a little bit of a, another lottery ticket, but... Mm-hmm. I've never been wowed watching him, but I look at his point production, and I mean, he he was on a top OHL team, and he, he didn't look out of place on a top OHL team. But I think it's another case of you have an overager with strong production, and uh, you can take a fourth rounder where you kind of hope they get to that production, or you can get take an overager that's already at that production. Um, so I think I don't think it's it's anything to be thrilled about. I wasn't. Uh, off the wall with that pick, but uh, he's he was a cap- he was a good OHL defenseman, strong scoring production. Uh, didn't play top power play unit, so maybe there's a little bit more opportunity there down the line. Cool. Um, yeah, I have nothing to add here. Like, it seems seems like a decent pick. I have no idea, R- really, ab- absolutely none. Um, another greyhound, I guess. I feel like this, that's more of an optics thing than anything. Um, I, I, I don't. I think uh, it'd be pretty insane if Dubis was, you know, like favoring his old team. I know that these biases exist, uh, and they are real, but it's like, I don't know. Do, and this could just me being me being like overly deferential, but I'd be more worried if I looked at the pick and I was like, this yeah, really, really bad. like I like. If you look at Nicholas Matinin from the London Knights, I was like, you're doing a favor for a kid that you know, but like this guy's not. This I guy hope is not a. Pick. I hope no one in Nicholas Matinin's family listens to this podcast because like I feel like every third podcast we like shit on him. Yeah, because he's like I'm afraid he's the poster boy for like the absolute no hope pick. Um, yeah, he sounds like a nice kid. I'm sorry, man. You're way better at hockey than I am. Um, for sure. <laughs> for, for you were better at hockey than. You you you're better at hockey realistically than like Fulham and I are at at anything, right? <laughs> like 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 even junior hockey players are obscenely good at hockey. Oh yeah, um, you know, you could come down to beer league and probably ruin my night if you ever felt like it. Yeah, but, um, you know, we got the, the point is is that uh, in terms of a bias to Sault Saint Marie, it's something to keep an eye on. I think it's interesting to see if there's any kind of trend there. It'll bother me when they start picking someone who I'm sure is a bad pick. And for me to be sure it's a bad pick in this range, it has to be, like, really glaring. Um, and I don't think that Hollowell was that. So, onward and upward. It has to be a guy with, like, five times more penalty minutes and points. Like, that type of player. Yeah. Um, which I think is what... This is an aside here, and I forget the guy's name, but Calgary didn't pick until the fourth round. And then they picked some guy who has, like, 19 billion penalty minutes. Um, and it was like all right brian burke still has his spirit in the organization at least well i mean yeah maybe he has a lot of penalty minutes but i bet he doesn't go to any museums (laughs) that guy does not say no to moxies rain or shine (laughs) um anyway moving on to our fifth rounder uh yeah uh, crawl Crawl. Uh, who like i I mean i feel like i'm reading from the a script here because he's he's a defenseman He's not especially big. He's reputed to be smart. He makes the right play. It is interesting he was ranked really high by Canucks Army, um, who do a very yeah. great 
thing annually. Like he, they had him 58th, and we picked him 149th. So if you take them as uh, kind of your starting point, then we got crazy value out of this pick. And those Mitch Brown micro stats that we talked about earlier and kind of said don't put weight in them, if you'd like to put weight on them, you can note that Philip Crawl is apparently very good at denying controlled zone entries. Yeah, I think Crawl, when, once you get to the fifth and sixth range, like a lot of the yeah. a lot of my targets didn't even get drafted at this point. Um, there's a few players that like I I probably would have taken a shot on, but I think at this point, like most of the players in the six seven range, like I haven't even seen. So mm-hmm. you start getting players out of out of high schools you never heard of or leagues you never heard of and um, or, or players that are so far down the depth chart that you barely watch them even when you do see them play. Um, yeah. So I, I think... I should say that the last guy I'd heard of was SDA, and the only reason I really remembered him was because he has a dope name. Like, I was pretty much at the end of my knowledge by about 50th overall, except for like a dozen guys. Um yeah, I know. Obviously, I you're mean, better informed than I am. But I at think this point, uh, so like, re- realistically, it's as you guys have said. It's you're picking guys who you hope have some something projectable uh, to the NHL. And again, there there is a theme here, right? As, as Fullman noted, it's another one from the smart can break out from his own zone. knows knows how to play hockey, hockey players, right? Like the the guy. Uh, you know, I always think of this when it comes to like Jake Furtanen, for example, where someone described him as like he has all the he has like he has all the tools, but he doesn't have a toolkit. Like he he can't use them. He doesn't process the game at a fast enough level to use his tools in a really productive way. Um, and like I mean, frankly, Furtanen will have a better career than ninety percent of drafted players because he is actually an NHL player. Um, but it seems like the Leafs are going for kind of the opposite of those players where they're, they're looking at guys who seemingly maximize a lot of what they have. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see how that turns out. We're probably not going to go into detail on the last three guys, so I'm just going to mention them all at once. Uh, Pontus Holmberg in the sixth round, 156 overall. Zachary Boutelier, uh, seventh round, mm-hmm. 209th overall. He's a goalie. Uh, Semyon Kizimov, uh, 211th overall. Um, so I don't know anything about goalies. I know even less about the third tier Swedish league and the second tier Russian league. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, Kevin, do you have any, any thoughts? Oh, man, on these? I'm not going to judge you if you don't. It's... No, not really. Especially the last, yeah. especially the last two, like when you're at 209 and 211, there's only like five, six guys who went after them. The only thing I'll note is that like, take a crapshoot on a goalie once in a while. Like if you're by the seventh round, I would almost say just pick a goalie. Because no one knows how to scout goalies, really. And you might as well roll the dice there as anywhere else. And you have to get them into your system somehow. Um, so I approve of taking a complete crapshoot there on Zachary Batillier, who I know nothing about. So, mm. Yeah, I think even with Crawl, like once you get to 149, if there's a player that it grades out well in the microstats or grades out well in the Canucks Army model, like I'm... I'm all for taking chances at that point. Like I'm yeah. not gonna. <laughs> Man, I I just hope that happened in the in the Leafs uh, like war room where Cowdy was like, "Look, I'm telling you, man, Ryan Beach had this guy at 58." <laughs> probably what happened. Final decision. It's done. He's good. I'm in charge now. I don't have to listen to Mark just get out of misery tape. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so all in all, uh, Kevin, you were saying you thought that this was a pretty good draft. You weren't blown away by it. Um, but it seemed like it was, you know, pretty satisfying. I thought that they made smart picks. Each of their picks that I've taken the time to read about, at least, has seemed... I've liked it the more I've uh, looked at it, which may just be a certain amount of rationalization because I'm a Leafs fan, but it looks like a pretty defensible draft, at least. Mm-hmm. There are no indefensible picks, kind of, yeah, which and is then kind also, of a critical point. Also, the SDA pick is a, is a nice bonus, and the Jersey pick was acquired for in the Roman Polak deal, so, I mean, it, how they got the picks is kind of makes me more optimistic, too. It's just a nice little... Yeah. Nice little uh, package. It's nice to get Jersey for a few months of Roman Polak. It's still, honestly, it's a low-key deal, but the fact that we got two seconds for Polak and Spalling is maybe the most unbelievable thing that Lou Lamorello ever did. That made no sense. <laughs> but Basically the haul for Larson trade, just yeah, way in smaller. Miniature, same scaling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, but, you know, all in all, uh, exciting draft. And I think the big takeaway here is that SDA stone-cold lock for top six by training camp. Yeah, someone needs to play with Tavares, so it's going to have a shot. <laughs> all right, um, so speaking of Tavares. So the Leafs are meeting with Tavares, or really have met with Tavares at this time of recording. We're recording this right now at around, like, 10 p.m. on Monday, and their meeting with Tavares reportedly lasted two hours from, like, 5 to 7 Eastern or something, or, like, or 6 to 8 Eastern, something like that. Um, so, you know, we're expecting news for, of his signing imminently. Do you think he'll be okay with being the fourth-line center behind Matthews, Kadri, and Nylander? <laughs> That was the real tough point in the selling point. Like, you wanted the comments, just we had to make him recognize it. You know, you're our Ben Smith now. Uh, yeah. That, that's kind of what we need from you, and, you know, be a team player. Um, exactly. I know that this is just me setting myself up to get hurt again, but I keep thinking that if he wants to win now and in the future, we make a lot of sense. If he wants to be a star, we make a ton of sense. We can give him the money. You know, we really seem like a natural fit to me. Except the problem is he would have to move, and hockey players hate moving. Yeah. And so the other thing is that if he's going to stay in Long Island, um, like, what is there for him there? There's, like, Matt Barzell, and then they just had a good draft. Lou Lamorello is going to make but, him shave. Um, well, and, and they, they had a good draft, but that draft is going to help them in, like, two years. Unless they, they trade some of those guys for you know, immediate help, which is, you know, that that's a trade-off. Like, you you know, in theory, you come out of that even. You can't, you can't, it's not an actual plan to be like, oh, we're just going to win a bunch of trades yeah. and then we'll be a good team. I, I mean, it's bloody hard to do. Like, they have some nice players, but like... They do. They're so... Uh, Anthony Beauvillier as well is really good. Yeah. Like, are they any closer now than they were like a year or two after drafting Tavares? Like, they seem to have run in place, mostly. And there's maybe some prospect of them improving, but there's been that before, and it hasn't come to anything. And I think if there is optimism in the Islanders' camp, it's entirely because their front office has now changed, and it, it hasn't for a long time, right? It's entirely because you believe in Lou and what he's doing and his ability to turn a team around. But yeah, I mean, 
uh, look, this is where I'm going to be a conceited Leafs fan for like the next for the next portion of this podcast. I'm pretty sure all of our listeners are Leaf fans. If you're not, you're not going to enjoy this next little bit. So, if you turn it off now, I won't feel offended. But like the Islanders have been dog shit for nine years, and mm. yes, the Leafs have been dog shit for most of those nine years too. But the Islanders have won one playoff series while having John Tavares. He's played his entire career there. He's been on a laughably below market deals the entire time. Yeah, and the and, one time they did beat, it was the year that Florida made the playoffs with like 15 shootout losses. So they were below like real 500 in terms of games won. It's like, that, yeah, that's they, your they, one vanquished foe. Like, really? They granted, that's, that's, that's more playoff wins than the Leafs have had in a long, long time. But the, they, they have not been successful over the last few years, or over, over the last nine years since Tavares was drafted. They just haven't. There is no way to spin that as a success. None at all. And I think just looking at their roster, I mean, DeHaan's leaving. Well, he's an unrestricted free agent as well this offseason. And you have Eberle and, and Anders Lee next year. You don't really have a goalie. Uh, you're paying Ladd five and a half for the next five years. You're paying Josh Bailey five million for the next six. Um, Clutterbuck three and a half for the next four. Like, I don't. If he wants to win, it's not the Islanders. It doesn't have to be the Leafs, but I think the Leafs would be a good spot. But I think. It's not the Islanders. The Islanders. At least not right now. No, I mean, by the no. time they're good, like, what's the scenario there? It's like, is he 31? Now, granted, they had a good offense this year, but their defense was among the worst I've ever seen. And Getting trots will help. You, will you, help that. You would hope so. And, you know, I've heard some people say that it was the forward commitment to defense as much as anything. I don't believe... Um, I, man, people seem really willing to ascribe a lot of, like, defensive issues to wingers. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Corey Snyder who was saying this, but it's like... If a winger is, like, really ruining you on defense, your system is probably bad. Like, like just wingers are not the most important players in the defensive zone. They just aren't. You know what I, I mean? I do, honestly think, I do honestly think that going from Doug Waite to Barry Trotz, like, that's, that's a huge, huge upgrade. Because I think Doug Waite was, like, among the worst coaches in the league and Trotz is among the best. I, I mean, I will say, when we played them, I have never been so sure that we could destroy a team like 99 games out of 100 you know like yeah like that, that's no, extreme it, but like it it looked like we were in another class from them them like, and the rangers actually yeah <laughs> it was rangers, like, they're, they're so bad defensively and those were the two games where we had justin hole up and he was like yeah. <laughs> you know he, he killed it and had two goals and everyone was like all right first pair um, and then he went back down but like that Islanders team really, for all they had such impressive offense, and Barzal is like, did you see Barzal's that incredible. Like, that's great. He, but, he's incredible. But, like, there's nothing there that impresses me at all in terms of the defensive side. So, yeah, it's like it's like maybe Barry Trotz can save us. If I were Tavares, I would be out of there in one second. But, uh, you know, I can't speak to his motivations. I'm not necessarily saying I would go to Toronto. I want him to go to Toronto. I'm just saying there's nothing about what the Islanders have done that is worth hanging on to, except I would rather not hire movers. I think with, with Tavares, too, the, other than the inertia argument would be the money. I think they can offer eight years, and then if there is going to be a team that offers him, say, $13 million or, or something higher than everyone else, I think it would make sense for it to be the Islanders. Because they have nothing else. Because if the Islanders... Yeah. 
Yeah, if they lose Tavares, they're they're done. Like they gotta do a complete rebuild. And you gotta look at like Whereas... marginal increase there, right? Like you have a contract and it's worth, you know, uh, I mean, geez, what would it be? Ninety million dollars or something like that? And then yeah. it's like, well, we can offer you ninety-four, and all you have to settle for is being mired in a quagmire that's made of feces for the rest of your playing career. Um, you know, I would be worried that it, I'd be like, I'm going to retire having made the second round one time. You know? Yeah, and like, we're being a little harsh to the. They they can turn it around. The NHL is a league where you can turn it around fast. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it's important not, that we it's not a guarantee. Right what if John is listening? Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> no and the, the thing is, it's not it's not a guarantee. Yeah. Right. Like, y- yes, maybe Trotz can. Trotz will help them for sure over Doug Waite. Lamorello, I w- would imagine he's a better GM than Garth Snow, uh, especially since Lamorello would certainly have autonomy from ownership uh, because I don't think he would take a job that did not have that. Yeah. But these things are maybes. The Islanders were a mediocre to bad team this year and you know like we're talking about them like they get to they they retain Tavares okay cool you're you're treading water from last year Mm -hmm. in terms of your roster right like you you haven't improved anywhere except coaching you maintain you've you kept your star that's it you you need to lost to Han yeah and yeah probably are losing to Han you need to do more than that so I mean yeah like I I (laughs) If I'm Tavares, and this is colored by, I, I'm biased here, and I, I think the same way with Oliver ekman Larson. I, I would leave. W- like, win, winning, if, if, and NHL players always say winning is the most important thing to them. And, you know, it's fair if winning is not the most important thing, but if you say winning is the most important thing, and then you stick with the New York Islanders, or you stick with Arizona, you're, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> No, like, 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 you're either lying or you're stupid. Yeah. Right? Because, like, factually, those are not your, the best choices if you, want, if you only care about winning or if it's your highest priority. There are val- very valid reasons to choose either of those teams. If you love the place, if you love the team, if you love your life there and, you know, you want to win but it's secondary to the rest of your life, that's fine. Stay there. I'm not going to begrudge anyone for doing that. NHL players have the right to do it. But if you're, don't say you you want to win and then choose a place that is not conducive to winning. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. I have a question for you too. Um, so let's say that he leaves and he doesn't go to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Where do you think's uh-huh. the favorite of the rest of the destination? Kevin, why must okay. you haunt me with your dark dreams? Um, honestly, I would be a little tempted by Las Vegas. Um, now they say Las Vegas is not like necessarily the greatest place to live in some ways but it's probably great if you're a rich hockey player yeah i think you could have a pretty good time um but also you know they they can certainly afford to pay him he would be the name star uh they just got to the finals and even if i think they were a bit fortunate to be there um you can make a win now kind of argument there which i think might be sort of appealing um and you might sort of be a foundational player or like the first guy who gets his jersey retired from that franchise. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that there would be a lot of sort of appealing psychological traits and you're not necessarily giving back much on either money, if anything. 
or on chance to win. I do think that if he wants to maximize his chances of winning over the seven years of the contract, Toronto is honest to God the best bet. But uh, I think Vegas would make a lot of sense from that perspective. There's one team that's really worrying me, and that's Tampa Bay. I, I oh think. my God! How how would, how are they affording him? Who like they have to unload half their team? Surely they do. Yeah. But then they're they're probably getting something. Like they can get cost control over assets if they do that. That's the thing. Is it's like, like if they do that and they, I mean, I, I tell myself I have to tell myself that like you can't really do that. But it's like if you can come out okay on some of those cap clearing trades, you can easily build a team that adds John Tavares and is better than the Tampa Bay Lightning team that just looked like a pretty solid cup contender for at least next year. I mean, God help you. I, I wouldn't even mind if they did that. Like, like that's just impressive. Like, like you know, you know what? If you do that, you deserve it. Good for you. Get a get a cup. I mean, can like, you imagine that, if you had that, Stamkos, Kucherov, Tavares, uh, Braden Point? Even if you know, even if you lose Johnson or Palat, who are like great supporting players, and you have uh, Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, and Strawman on your defense. Like, I mean. That's cool. Are they going to get Eric Carlson you, too? Yeah, you know what? Why not? Let's give them Eric Carlson. Let's go full Golden State Warriors on this. Like, just run everybody over. Like, I don't. I'll even just be like, look, we're going to take the year off. Um, just let you know, let SDA come up in the, in junior, and then he'll be ready by the time your team breaks up. You know. Um, if um, if you did have to move Kucherov, like it's not like he's leaving for nothing. Like, I think. The return you get for Kucherov next offseason would be absolutely insane. So, Wait, he he's an RFA next offseason, right? Kucherov. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like man. it'd be a huge player to lose. I, I feel like he's he no he's the guy you pay whatever the hell you you need to pay. Like yeah. you you trade anyone besides Kucherov, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, but they do themselves. A, it's going to be huge tough. Favor if they could unload Ryan Callahan, but I don't know if that's doable. But you know, I've been surprised before. Yeah. Um, so I, I said San Jose to Kevin's question, so I'll just yeah. touch on them briefly. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think San Jose is a good team. Um, they are very much a win-now team. Uh, they are not going to be good in three years, I don't think, um, because they have a lot of contracts that are going to look disgusting in that time. So it's very much a win-now thing, but it, it's a nice area. Uh, the Bay Area is pretty cool. He can get into Bitcoin if he wants to. Um, Tavares seems like a big coin. No, Tavares seems more like a Monero guy. You know? <laughs> what cryptocurrencies um, would NHL players be into? Fill out this Facebook <laughs> quiz. Uh, yeah, so it, 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 it's a good team. It's a good area. It's low-key. He would be the guy, right? He would take over from Thornton pretty seamlessly. He'd be quite clearly the, the star, the heir apparent. Uh, Wilson is known for making moves. I feel like he's a good GM at selling players on these sorts of things. I, I think they're in a very weak division. So if Tavares like even wants to go that far and just, I just think, Hey, like for the next three years, we have a divisional seed locked up every year. We're in the playoffs every year. Right. And that's actually not really an argument you can make with Toronto even because Tampa isn't really going anywhere. Boston looks very good and they're going to be good as long as Bergeron, Marchand and Pasternak are all, you know, at the peak of their powers. And then there's always like a third team in the Atlantic that could be dangerous. It's probably uh, even Florida, though there wasn't this year. But yeah, in Florida if they get their shit together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, De- I mean Detroit. I think with Detroit still has terrible contracts until like the end of time. 
I think if I'm his agent, I'm telling him to avoid San Jose. I just don't see what the appeal is there besides the weather. Uh, uh, no, 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 NorCal weather isn't even that good, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, hope, I don't know, though. I think when you see... When you see Kachir and Pavelski just one year left, and then like Kane, Burns, Vlasic, like I don't think that team's gonna be very good in a few years. And he's signing no, but, a seven-year contract. Right, but you, you're missing the critical thing, which is that hockey players are evaluating this. Remember, hockey player Drew McGinley could go to any team in the league, and he chose the Colorado Avalanche the year <laughs> after their PDO bender. Hockey players are not good at this stuff. You will see that they went <laughs> or Matt to, Duchesne. Yeah, you'll see that they went to the second round. And that they have, they have name players who he knows from, like, say, Team Canada, right? And international play. Honestly, I was a right? little, and I'm so, so relieved that he's not even meeting with Montreal because that's hilarious to me. But I was a little <laughs> worried that I was like, well, he knows Weber and Price, right? So I was like, what if they became friends? But uh, I guess they hate each other. Plus they, got the, plus they got the insect museum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That sounds like some Dougie Hamilton talk there, Kevin. I don't think we approve of that on this podcast. Yeah, we need to know how many how many moxies they have. <laughs> that was such a weird choice for the restaurant, by the way. Which is like they're like a generic, like kind of middle class chain restaurant, which is fine. What? I, like, no, I, but like, is it, is it, is it, but, isn't moxies like Hooters with a better with better PR? Uh, I don't know if they're all the way to Hooters. I mean, well, you know, the more I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I just it was such like a specific thing. They were like, obviously, Moxie's is the place that all of these millionaires are going to. <laughs> I don't know. Man, there's there's not a collection of rich people with worse taste than NHL players. Oh God, no. I mean, like, there's just absolutely no way. But uh, anyway, the good news is Calgary traded a franchise defenseman uh, because he went to museums. I. Didn't, didn't, like, they got some good players back in the trade. Yeah, it wasn't like, like a total just, massacre, but like... Yeah, they, it, they just gave... Like giving up Adam Fo- or Yeah, giving up Adam Fox on top of that. Okay, so Adam Fox allegedly I, I almost said wasn't going to sign... That was a throwback. Though. Apparently, they, like, they talked to his agent, and he was like, I'm going to go out of college, and I'm not signing with you. Oh, okay. I guess that changes things. Yeah. But like... I mean, man, Carolina... If they can, if they can get a goalie who is not terrible... But they won't. Okay? It's like, on, no, honestly, this is a Greek curse situation now. I honestly believe that Scott Darling was going to save them. And then I was like, nope. This is just, it's like one of those things where you've sinned in your life. And so the Greek gods condemn you to be like perpetually 56% Corsi, but with bad goaltending. So you always miss the playoffs by six points or whatever. And they're just doomed to do that literally forever. I think that like never will the sins be expunged. I think with Adam Fox, what I find amusing is, like, I think he's a very good prospect, but the next time we have the, this Tavares type of situation, it might be Adam Fox. I remember the VZ hype. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. The college free oh, agents yeah. always get huge presentations. But it's just blown out of proportion. Because they all hit in August when nothing else is going on. Like, training camp is maybe starting up. But it's, like, the deadest point of the hockey calendar. Like, VZ was signing, it was, what was it, August 15th or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it, I, I remember because it was like there was nothing else to talk about, so we had like three FTBs that just like referenced him in the headline because he was all of hockey news, um, and so a guy who's like a thirty-five point player was briefly considered to be like a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> Is he even a thirty-five point player? I might have oversold him. 
Let's let's look him up. I'm looking it up right now. All right. Uh, Jimmy VC, 28 points last year. Okay, so that's not far off. Yeah, 27 points in his rookie year, 28 points last year. Jeez. Didn't Dreger say that we would trade Nylander if we got him? Oh, yeah, you know, he said, like, if the Leafs had gotten VC, Nylander would be gone. Which is, like, that's oh the God. stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And, like, Dreger said some weird shit, man. Well, there was a period of <laughs> 18 months where all TSN seemed to do was to, like, speculatively trade William Nylander. And it made me crazy because they were all bad trades. Drekker's recently, like, gone to bat for Mitch Marner and saying that, like, he should get, like, nine and a half, ten million based on, like, his, his comparables. Okay. And, like, okay, so, in his defense, if you, if you go to Hockey Reference and you look up, you know, highest scoring uh, age 19 or age 20 seasons, Mitch Marner ranks up there. It is, like, comparable to Jack Eichel and Patrick Laine in, in recent years. Now, the, the problem with that is his age 20 season happened to be the highest offense season the league-wide, in the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. If you adjust it, he basically comes down to, like, um, the same level of scoring in age 20 seasons as, like, Monahan, Sean Monaghan and Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne and those types of players, which seems more in line, and no one was going to offer them $9 million. No. And you know what? The truth is, is that RFAs don't have a lot of leverage. You know, I've made... Unless it's Leon Dreisaitl somehow. Okay, let me rephrase that. If you're negotiating with Peter Chiarelli, who knows what's going to happen? Like, I could go in to Peter Chiarelli tomorrow, and he could hire me to be director of regional scouting at, like, three hundred grand a year, and it would not even be, like, the 15th stupidest thing that he's done since he took power in Edmonton. But, like... Wait, did you did you see... Sorry. Uh, did you see the thing where they traded up to draft a goalie who was, like, the kid of their goalie coach or something like that? Yes! It was the most Edmonton Oilers thing that could possibly have happened. <laughs> Just, like, the aggressive anti-analytics move, the nepotism, the extremely questionable idea of drafting a goalie really that high anyway. Um, just everything about it was so Oilers. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, we kind of got far afield from uh, from Tavares here. Um, our apologies to Kevin, who's been treating this with a degree of professionalism, and then Arvin and I are just like, "What's laugh at the Oilers again?" Yeah, I think <laughs> can have a whole podcast on Edmonton. Maybe start an Edmonton podcast. <laughs> Back to depression. What we're gonna do like one summer episode, which is just mocking people. <laughs> That's just gonna be the whole thing when like the news is dead. The other thing with uh, Gregor that I was wondering is he reported on Friday that. He thought Skinner was going to get traded that day, and it never happened. So I'm just wondering what the heck happened there. Like, I, I feel like... I'm sure there were talks. Yeah, I feel like it was so predictable that yeah. he was likely to go anyways. I'm just I'm just waiting for Skinner to get moved already. I want to see where he ends up. Maybe they're waiting for Tavares. Apparently, Skinner's being very like judicious about the teams he is allowing himself to be traded to, which makes sense. Like, it's it's always annoying to me when, like... Uh, a player negotiates for like a no trade clause or something and then the team is like hey what do you mind waiving this it's like yeah i mind i negotiated for this yeah here's a counter proposal why don't you pay me another two million a year because that was a negotiated clause yeah like it's (laughs) i mean you you can't renegotiate it yeah I, i i do wonder where where skinner will go it's i mean carolina made out like bandits um in the Hamilton trade, and I think in large part because they got by far the best player in that trade. But mm-hmm. with Skinner, what's likely to happen is that they give up the best player in that trade, and so I wonder if you know they're going to 
sort of win one trade and then lose the other almost by an equal measure. I saw one person propose, and I, don't, I think they were just proposing it. I don't think they were saying like this was anything possible, but they suggested Skinner for Apache already, which I was like, I think that's the most pointless trade <laughs> I've ever heard. Like that somehow it does nothing like, for either like, team. It's like, what if we took very similar players and results and just flipped them? And then you're back where you started. They have the same contract status and everything. Anyway, I, I, I kind of want to see at least one major trade like that that just makes no sense. I just enjoy the chaos aspect. Yeah, I think Skinner having a small team he'll go to, I think it's going to could drive down the trade price a bit. And then you'd think he'd be pretty likely to extend if he's if you're on his small little list. But yeah. I'm interested to see what teams. Yeah. I hope that gets leaked. If Toronto's on there, I'm going to be uh, interested. Yeah, that, that would be yeah, nice, man. I mean... Um, was there anything else we wanted to say about Tavares, actually? Um, because we, we, we are getting up to 90 minutes, so... Um, I know Kevin wanted to touch on, briefly, players who are not qualified that the Leafs might want to go after. Uh, yeah, so... There's two. I think Anthony Duclair have always been a, Wait, actually, a fan of. Before you start, can do you want to explain briefly, because some people in our audience may not know, what exactly does it mean for a team to qualify a player and what happens if they fail to? Well, just keeping his rights and going to arbitration as an RFA. An RFA. So basically, they're going to hit the, the open market now. And a player like Duclair, uh, I remember as he was coming up, he was a, a huge prospect after he had a huge performance at the World Juniors. And then he had that 44-point season where his shooting percentage was through the roof. And I think he got a little bit overrated. And and now, last year, I mean, he's still only 22 years old, though. Like He's a year younger than Andreas Janssen. And he's already got over 200 games under his belt. I think you can get him for a million or two million. Uh, I'd take a chance and see if, if there's more there. And then the other players, Riley Shahan, And I think, I mean, the Leafs have been linked to him in the past. Uh, a guy that could possibly be a, a depth center. I think we have our, our eyes on a little bit better centers right now, but Shahan would, wouldn't be a bad fourth-line center. Mm. Yeah, and like the, the real appeal of this is that like you get these, these guys who would ordinarily be restricted free agents. Uh, now they're unrestricted free agents. The reason, the reason the teams choose not to qualify them, presumably, is so that they don't have... They can't choose to go to arbitration. They prefer to negotiate with... Um, with that player, even uh, w- without them having arbitration rights, even though that player is now free to negotiate as a UFA with every other team in the league. Um, and well, the other thing is that if you, there are limits in terms of what counts as a qualifying offer. Like uh, Robin Lehner, who the Buffalo Sabres let go, is a pretty decent goalie based on career numbers, but his qualifying qualifying offer would, I believe, have been about four million. Yeah, it's like based on the previous salary, right, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I forget all the permutations of it, and there are some circumstances where you can end up with like 85% of your previous salary. There are some when it has to be at least as much. I think there are a couple where it has to go up slightly. But the result is sometimes that if you get guys, this might have been the case with Declare, who are coming off a contract that was perceived as an overpay, teams would rather risk losing them entirely than overpay. Yeah, and what that means is that you can get someone who's like relatively young, in the free agent market, and that doesn't really mm-hmm. happen uh, because of just the way the NHL free agent market works. I would the thing about Riley Sheehan is I'm a little surprised that he's there. He had a pretty decent year 
Um, the year before this one, he had the most spectacular shooting percentage slump I've ever seen. Like, he was about to set a record for most shots in a season without any goals at all. And then he scored two in his very last game. Um, but he was, like, really, really struggling. Um, but this year he had, like, 32 points. Which, you know, granted, I'm sure he had some nice line mates um, playing for Pittsburgh. But, like, I'm a little surprised. I think one last thing is one last thing to look out for is the Leafs don't get Tavares and the lookout for those deals where maybe they take on a bad one-year contract to get an asset. I think Tyler Ennis on Minnesota or Steve Mason on Winnipeg. Yeah. I think that's just one. Man, I want to pill for Minnesota badly. Oh, man. They, I mean, we already talked about this a little bit, but like Nita Ryder, Coyle, um, maybe Matt Dumba. Like they're, they're kind of like, like oh, um, oh, Spurgeon, baby. Fan me. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, this is kind of speculative, but like, uh, someone in the Athletic, the 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 main uh, the main writer for the Minnesota Wild, there, Russo, I want to say. I think yeah. it's Russo, yeah. Um, he he reported that like, the that uh, the new GM there had essentially agreed to like what seemed like a ridiculously lopsided deal, and I don't have the deal specifics in front of me, but it would have like resulted in uh, need a writer leaving. Ennis leaving and and someone else for like not very much. It would have been for Max Domi. I think it was yeah. Domi it was like Domi and, uh, Yeah, for like Niederreiter and Ennis or something like that, and make maybe someone else. But it it was like yeah, that would have been it was like laughably bad, lopsided, and yeah, it, it like I, I you know Dubas should be calling them every day. Uh, we we have the cap space to take on Ennis. We have the cap space to take on Yori Laterra of the Flyers if they want to give up, say, Radko Gudis. It's a bit trickier with the Flyers because they have no pressing need for um, cap space next year. Although, to be honest, neither does Minnesota. They just seem to be doing stuff because they can. They're desperate. I mean, because they have those two anchor contracts for Parisi and Suter. Mm -hmm. And those aren't getting any better, and they go on forever. Um like, literally both of those guys are 33, and the contracts end in, I think, seven years? So Jeez, I, I Seven years from now, oh my god. Yeah, 2025. So, like, they're... I mean, obviously the expectation was they were going to retire out of them. But uh, they probably are thinking, you know, we have to kind of win now, which is too bad, because it's not like... I don't believe that they're close to winning now at all. Like, I've just, I've never believed in Minnesota, and I still refuse to, but, like, um, they are in that kind of desperate mindset where maybe they can do something stupid, and they certainly have some assets that I would really, really like to get my hands on. So, yeah, absolutely. If, if you know, if we're not getting Tavares, then we should be exploiting our cap space in other ways. Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm still, I'm still in for Tavares, though, so let's, uh. Yeah, I've totally made myself believe it this time, which means I'm just going to get hurt again. Yeah, I, I tried to get myself not like excited for this, except now our conversation has made me be like, wow, New York's a dump. Why would he ever want to go back there? <laughs> and then like invariably, yeah, he's 100% going to resign with the Islanders. Um, and it'll probably be like relatively team friendly too. Like, let's say he, he'll get like, he'll take 10 and a half million or something like that. Uh, yeah. and win like five playoff games the rest of his career. Yeah. No. That, that, you know what? That's a good over under. Um, 
Okay, what do you think will be higher? Tavares' AAV it, it is signing with New York or the number of playoff games he wins in New York over the life of the contract? In millions? So, like, over under 10.5? Yeah. Oh, man. He'll probably get 12. Over eight years. I think I think the wins, because they have Barzell, but I can't see them going. All it takes is really one run. Yeah, like, yeah, like one run where you get to the second round. Like, that gets you eight wins already, and then if you do anything, or sorry, if you get to the conference finals, right? But, like, but still, I mean, it's all... Huh? The, how, how, how many, many does he have now? Like, he has at least four. Um, I, I think he probably has, like, six or seven. He's been to the playoffs three times. Uh, and so he has, let me count here. Uh, three, four. Yeah, so I think he has 12 wins. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Um, Good for so him. Yeah, it would be a bit over that. But, like, if you set the number at, like, maybe 15 or 20, it starts to get a bit like, I don't know. Anyway, hmm. I'm, not, I'm not, like, very high on the Islanders just because I think maybe I was a bit too... Like, I sort of thought that they were improving at one point. Like, when they got Letty and Boychuk, I was like, oh, those are smart moves. Um, but they've just really stagnated badly. And if Tavares does leave, um, you know, they're going to be kind of the house that Matt Barzell built for a few years. Like, they're going to be back down again. Yeah. I got one more, one last point here. Um not to get everyone's hopes up, but maybe I will. I think Tavares, <laughs> it, it's interesting. He's got, he's not very active on Twitter. He's only got about 400 and, 430 tweets, I think, somewhere around there. And he's got a few that mention Dubis from way back when, mostly retweets, but uh, they do have a, Tavares' good friend is, uh, used to work with, with Kyle as an agent and as a member of the Greyhounds and as a member of Beliefs. So I think, Tavares knows Dubis for, for quite some time, so I'm, I'm hoping that there's uh, some mutual respect between the two and that there's maybe uh, it helped the pitch a little bit. And, hey, parting point, we do have Matt Martin. so we The, big, the signing would be worth it, I think. Oh, absolutely. If, you know what? All right, if, if, like, they sign Tavares and, like, it's confirmed that, like, Matt Martin closed the deal somehow... I'll write an article being like, right. "Yes, the Matt Martin contract was uh, was fantastic." Did Lou sign Matt Martin? Yep, that was a Lou, so it could come back to bite him. Sorry, like if it was Lou that signed Matt Martin. Oh correct? yeah, oh, I, I totally yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, it would come around on him, and like, oh man, that would be funny. Wait, how hilarious would it be if we signed Tavares um, July first? And he said, yeah, you know, I was really glad that Martin was here. And then July 2nd, we trade Martin because his bonus has been paid. <laughs> it's a business, John. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> be uh, okay, so we, we're 100 minutes in. Um, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you both to uh, Fulman and Kevin for uh, showing up and talking draft, talking to Veras, and making fun of the Oilers, the three staples of the Back to Excited <laughs> Hockey podcast. You can find all three of our uh, stuff at pensionpanpuppets.com. You can also follow us all on Twitter at RV, A-R-B-I, at A-T Fuleman, and at K Papetti. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.